Well, happy Independence Day. It's 245 years that our country has been around, and uh, and God has blessed our nation uh, in many ways. Uh, sad to say, at times we have forgotten about the blessings. Uh, we have been blessed in order to be a blessing, so remember the independence that we have and the freedom that we have here in our country. There are many Christians around this world that don't have the same freedoms that we have. Just even the freedom to come and worship today for, uh, is just an amazing opportunity. So um, be very thankful for that. But I, I do want you to think about this. I want you to think about the fact that we are living in a time that we need to be people of truth. We need to stand up. We need to speak up. We need to make our voices known. We need to be reflections of God's glory in this world and in our country because we are in a dark time. And in thinking about that, I just want to read a psalm for you before we open in prayer. Psalm 85 says this, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You withdrew all your wrath and turned your hot anger. Restore to us again, O Lord, your salvation, and put away your indignation from us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant to us your salvation. Let me hear and let us hear what God will speak And he will speak peace to his people, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him and the glory in his land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss. Faithfulness springs from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good to our land and it will yield its increase. Righteousness will not go before him. I'm sorry, righteousness will go before him, of course, and make his footsteps his way. So, Lord, we pray today. As the sons of Korah were praying over their land, I pray that you would help us to pray over our land. Lord, I pray that you would restore us again. Lord, I pray that you would do your work to help us to hear your truth. Father, as your truth is spoken, I pray that we would hear you speak. I pray that we would, you would speak peace to your people. I pray that we as a people, we as a nation, will not turn back to folly. Father, remind us that righteousness and peace, they kiss, Father. It happened at your son's cross. That, Father, you poured your anger and wrath down upon your Son, and yet you offered us grace and peace. Help us to be a country. Help us to be a people. Help us to be a church that beckons that, shares that, reflects that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
great the chasm. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory. To wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ. My living hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ. My living hope, sing that again. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the morning then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me Jesus yours is the victory Oh, hallelujah, praise the one. 
Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my living hope. Hallelujah. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My chains are gone. Amazing grace. The Lord has promised. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long.
Lift your voices to the King. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God who calls me here below will be chorus one more time my chains are gone my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy time my chains are gone my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy Lift a shout of praise to the Lord. Just talk to the Lord from your heart this morning. Give him your praise. Give him your honor. Give him your glory. Lord God, we thank you so much for that anthem. That our chains are gone and we have been set free. Satan has no claim over our lives. We belong to our creator. And I just speak that over the congregation right now, Lord. If there are people here who doubt their salvation, who doubt the love of the Father, who doubt the power of God to break old habits and to separate them from old ways of living, old patterns of thinking, may they just be reminded this morning that you specialize in miracles that you hold all power. You created the universe. And there is nothing too big, no problem too large, no issue too small, no grievance that you don't see and have the power to break. Lord Jesus, your word says that in you, we live and move and have our being. Help us to just keep things simple. 
and to keep going back to the cross and keep going back to your presence, keep going back to your word. Just like Daniel, that we would live and move and have our whole being in you. We love you so much. Thank you. Thank you for loving us and promising your son and making good on that promise. We honor you in this place. Your presence is precious to us. We love you, Lord. And we thank you. We thank you that you're here to meet with us. May we just linger in your presence and be ministered to by you. Lord, speak through Pastor Doug this morning. Speak to our hearts, God, things we need to hear, things we need to be reminded of. May we find our hope in you. May we hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, children are dismissed for junior church. Yes, I don't want to forget that one. That's a really important one. Um, Just one quick addendum aside before we jump in. Um, You're going to probably see my wife and I cut out of here real quick afterwards. My daughter, who's been in Iraq, haven't seen her for a year flies in this morning. So we are, yeah. So we're, we're thrilled about that. So anyway, I'm not trying to be rude. Um, I just want to see her. Okay. So um, anyway, it's a joy to be with you. So you notice I wore my USA shirt. I don't know if you noticed that. Okay. So my, my wife talked me into that one um, yesterday. So I said, sure, that makes a lot of sense. So we, on this day, we praise God for what he's done with the birth of our country, don't we? We look back and there's so much that we can be thankful for. It's not a perfect country. We all know that. But we thank God for the beginning of this country. I couldn't help but think, because I, I didn't plan that when we, when we set up the schedule, Daniel 5 with 4th of July, like that doesn't seem to work very well. Because on the day in which we celebrate the beginning of a country, we look at the end of an empire. You know what it told me? That all nations, all empires are temporary. They they may be really good for a period of time and you praise God for that. But we don't put all of our eggs in that basket, do we folks? For there is a kingdom that is coming That is eternal. And so actually on a day in which we celebrate the one, we're reminded of the other because there's something bigger than human kingdoms, aren't there? So we come to Daniel chapter 5, and I thought, I don't want to get too background history for you here, but I want to do a little bit. 
Okay, so stay with me. I'll try not to uh, lose you. I made this chart up, and I'm wondering sometimes it may be more confusing than anything, but let me try to explain it, all right? So we're in Daniel 5, and what I've tried, I'm trying to orient you to what we call the Babylonian and Medo-Persian Empire in history. And, and what we find, you have the, 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 the leaders that are mentioned in the book of Daniel there in red, Nebuchadnezzar, and the guy we're looking at today called Belshazzar, all right? There's, there's, there's four in between, but no reason to put them in there because they're not mentioned in Daniel, so I, I chose not to even put them in there. But here's what's fascinating to me. Daniel lived pretty much through that entire empire. He wasn't there right at the very beginning, but pretty close, and he spanned the time of Nebuchadnezzar all the way through to its demise and went right into the next empire, the, Medio, the, the Medes and Persians. Isn't that amazing? He's giving these prophecies throughout this period of time and he's living it right in the midst of all those things. So you have the Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and then underneath I put the chapters and I don't know if you notice this, but do you notice how chapters 7 and 8 are seem misplaced because I'm lining them up chronologically. And so chapter one, two, three, four, no problem. And then seven, eight, five seems kind of strange because chapter seven, eight, nine, and 10 through 12 are all what we call prophecies. Daniel's book is set up with six stories and four prophecies. And so the prophecies actually take place at different times. And what's fascinating to me is Daniel has this encounter in chapter 5 with Belshazzar, which seems to be at the end of Belshazzar's reign. There seems to be no contact with Daniel prior to that. And yet Daniel gives two more prophecies in chapter 7 and 8 where he unpacks what is happening in the kingdoms of men. And what's fascinating in both of those chapters is the Babylonian kingdom is fading into the background as we're looking at the other kingdoms. And Daniel is prophesying at the beginning of Belshazzar's rule, you know what, this great kingdom, it's moving aside and something else is coming. And then Daniel literally experiences that in chapter 5. Daniel's about 15 years old when the book begins. Now, in chapter 5, he's about 80 years old. Pretty much his whole life is lived in Babylon. So he sees all of this. He prophesies, and then he literally experiences it. What an amazing story. As you come to verse 1, one of the things that may actually strike you as a little bit strange is the way the story actually begins. Because, again, here's just a really simple map of Babylon. And as chapter 5 opens up, the Persian Empire has already defeated Belshazzar's father, Nabonidus. And he, he's, he's elsewhere. And again, I don't want to get too much into history lesson. But he's already been defeated. And the Persians have come and they pretty much have encircled Babylon. Primarily encamped on the north and the south of the city. And so as chapter 5 opens up, 
Your entire city or portions of it are encircled by the, by the kingdom who has just defeated your father and all the Babylonian troops way out there. You know how the chapter opens up? Belshazzar is having a feast. Look at what it says. Chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. I don't know about you, but if I'm encircled by the, 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 the next empire of the world, um, I don't think I'd be partying that night. Would you? And there's a lot going into it. We don't know all the details. Scholars disagree on some of these things. But it's very possible that this was an annual feast. And at this feast, Belshazzar, and bringing all these lords together, all these important officials, is basically making a statement. Babylon is impregnable. You can never get into our city. The Euphrates goes through. Some of the ancient Greek historians, Herodias and Xenophon, actually tell us that they had stored 20 years worth of food in the city for people. I mean, they can eat for 20 years. And they've got water for, who, for, for whatever. And you can't get into the city by trying to come in on the Euphrates River. You're drowned. It's not going to happen. So he's thinking, encircled by the enemy, we're going to have a great banquet. I'm going to bring all the officials together, make them encouraged that we'll be okay. I know dad lost that war. But we're going to be okay. We'll figure this one out. Let's party. And at our party, let us turn back to the true gods. One of which is Marduk, the patron god of Babylon. Also called Bel. Belshazzar. You know, his name literally means Bel, great god, protect the king. That's what his name means. What an irony. That this chapter opens up with, Bell, protect the king. And Bell certainly can't protect the king. And he has this great banquet. And as they're getting drunk, for whatever reason, he says, you know, we need more vessels to drink from. Let's pull them from that Israel God's temple. You know, All the vessels we took way back in 605, that temple which Nebuchadnezzar, my grandfather, has already destroyed. Yeah, yeah, let's take those vessels and let's drink to our gods with the vessels from their God. And that's what they do. Look what the text says. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine... He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine... They praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. We're going to be okay. 
Our, our city is secure. No one can get in. And let's get back to the gods that really count, which are the gods of silver, gold, wood, and iron. Like, how good is that? So that's his plan. Sounds like kind of a crazy plan, doesn't it? Especially looking back on it. And then suddenly, it goes from bad to really worse. Verse 5. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Now, I don't know what this looked like, but I do have one rendition there for what it's worth. I don't know. Suddenly, the fingers of a hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs began, became weak and his knees were knocking. I've been really scared at times in my life. I can't even remember a time there were my knees actually knocked together. I, I know. Have you ever? I never quite had that. I mean, I've been pretty scared um, in a lot of ways. But 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 what would that have been like? You're talking about a sci-fi movie. This would be really be an interesting one, wouldn't it? The video. So all of a sudden they're going, to, "Hey, bow this and bow that, and hey, look at her and whatever." They're just, they're, I mean, they're just all, all of a sudden they, he looks over. And he thinks like, man, did I drink too much? But everybody's seeing the same thing. Looks over and all you see is palm and finger starting to write. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Just, there it goes. He knew this couldn't be good. He knew there was a problem. So what do you do? You call your wise men, Right? Have you noticed in the book of Daniel that these wise men don't bat very well every time they're called up, right? Right back in chapter 2, they're called up and Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, I got this dream, figure it out. And Nebuchadnezzar says, look, 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 look. But, but I'm not going to tell you the dream. You tell me the dream and then you interpret it because you're not playing any games with me. And they say, we can't do it. Daniel comes on the scene, right? And then you get to chapter 4, and again, he has this dream, and he calls them up in, and what do they say? We don't know. So they're not batting very well. They're two strikes. Um, they're going to strike out here. You're going to find in just a moment. So notice what it says in verse 7. The king summoned the enchanters, the astrologers, and the diviners. He said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means. In other words, I want to read. It must be in a strange script. Okay? Please tell me what it means. That person will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made third highest ruler in the kingdom. And I, the reason I think he's saying third is his dad was number one wherever he was running out there for his life. Right? He's lost the battle. Then there's him and he's basically saying... You tell me what this means, God, any of you wise men, and you'll be number three in the whole kingdom. That's a pretty sweet deal. I mean, they'll, they'll dress you up. You'll look royal. I mean, this, this is a promotion par excellent, right? Look at what it says. Then all the king's wise men came in, 
They could not read the writing or, t- or tell the king what it meant. I mean, they couldn't even read the thing. They're going, they're like, what letter is that? Bill, have you ever seen? I know they won't be called Bill, but hey, Bill, have you ever seen that one before? Never. That's a strange script. I mean, we work with cuneiform and all kinds of stuff, but I've never seen that before. But anyway, they couldn't even get, they couldn't even read the thing. So King Belshazzar, verse 9, became even more terrified and his face grew more pale and his nobles were baffled. How would you like to be one of those nobles in there? You came in here thinking this is going to be one one good feast. I'm a little bit nervous about the fact that the Persians have surrounded the city, but whatever. Let's kind of get focused here, guys. And you look at your king, and he's an absolute wreck. Knees are knocking. He can barely stand. Calls the wise men in, and they say, I I don't know, man. I don't even know what the letters are. (laughs) And the guy just, he loses it. He's a basket case. How are you feeling if you're one one of those guys in there? You're going like, what in the world? Who invited us to this one? Right? I mean, you can see the challenge. About that time, verse 10, the queen mother appears. This is not the queen as in his wife. This would be the queen, his mother. And probably, although some debate on it, she's probably the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Which means she is seeing Daniel And everything Daniel did during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. She knows. She remembers. And here's what I don't know. Remember I showed you this chart a little bit earlier. This thing here. Um, So at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Daniel is at the top of the party. I mean he's the lead wise man isn't he? What happens between 562 and 539? There's a series of different rulers. And all I can tell you is in the midst of all that. Some, somebody begins to look at Daniel and say, we don't want him to be at the, the, the chief guy anymore. And he just keeps getting placed on, the, on one shelf after another till eventually when Belshazzar is ruling, he doesn't even call him in as one of the wise men. So he's been really ostracized. The guy's 80 years old. His mind's still really good. But he's 80 years old. And the queen mother, who has remembered all this, says this to her son in verse 10. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, what was that like? What, were they all moaning? You know, oh, I don't know, but whatever, man. She, people are going like, there's a lot of noise coming out of that feast room right now. So she goes down. She came into the banquet hall. And she says what you normally are supposed to say to a king on the day in which he's going to die. She didn't realize that. But she says, may the king live forever. Not exactly. But anyway, that's what she says. She said, don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. (laughs) Just like a mother, isn't it? You know, honey, honey, stop that. You know, anyway, don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who is the spirit of the holy gods in him. And again, she's speaking as a pagan, right? 
in the time of your father, and, and although he uses the word father, sometimes the word father can just mean, it can be used also for grandfathers. So, so it doesn't, it has to mean your direct father. So in the time of your father, we might say your predecessor, um, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve very difficult problems. Call for Daniel. And he will tell you what the writing means. You know, the play on words to me is really interesting. Although there's, again, debate on some of these things. Belteshazzar is probably just a derivative of Belshazzar. So you might actually say in this chapter, Bel meets Bel. Bel, protect the king, meets Bell, protect the king, whose name is Daniel, which means God, the true God, is my judge. And isn't that the clash? You got people here saying, we can trust in our gods. Bringing in a guy who says, no, there's one God, and he's the judge of everything. Wow, I mean, the irony of this is unbelievable, isn't it, folks? Verse 13, so Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, are are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought in before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they couldn't explain it. And Daniel's probably thinking like, so what's, no. But anyway, he didn't say that. He didn't say that, but he probably could have. Now, I have heard that you are able to, you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, You'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Do you think any of that impressed Daniel? You think Daniel's going like, oh, wow, thank you, finally. Daniel won't have any of it, folks. Daniel's king was the heavenly king, not an earthly king. So look what he says. Verse 17, then Daniel answered the king. And I think he probably said this respectfully, but he said it nonetheless. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell you what it means. King, I have no interest in your kingdom. But I'll tell you what God's going to say to you. And what he's going to go on to do here, folks, and this is really interesting. I, 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 um, I love the stories of Scripture. And I don't know if I told you this before, but when you read the Scriptures, stories in particular, think of yourself like a cinematographer, okay? 
And there's times when you're just kind of reading a story and you're doing a panoramic view and you're moving rather quickly. And sometimes in the Bible, you can cover in three verses like 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, you, I mean it's just panning, man, like this. And at other times, the camera stops and zooms in. And even in this story where you're doing these kinds of things, it's really interesting where you pan in and you actually hear the discussion between people. And in Daniel 5, what dominates the chapter is really what Daniel says to the king. And I would argue at the end of the day, it's in that section that you and I will learn lessons for life. So what does he say to the king? Verse 18, he's respectful. Your majesty, he doesn't say, may the king live forever because <laughs> it's not going to be that long. He just says, your majesty. The most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. He doesn't even start with the interpretation, folks. Daniel's got a message to preach and he's going to preach it. He's going to talk about King Nebuchadnezzar first and in contrast to Belshazzar. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. In other words, Daniel looks at Belshazzar and says, let me tell you something. Bel, protect the king. That's what his name means which isn't going to happen, but nonetheless. King Nebuchadnezzar was given authority by God for a period of time. And during that time, he could do pretty much whatever he wants, except for one thing. He too was accountable to the true and living God. So look at what the text says, verse 20. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride. He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. It's the passage that James talked through last week from Daniel chapter 4 and preached to you. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Can you imagine what the public relations must have been like for that perhaps seven-year period of time when Nebuchadnezzar was like an animal? Like, hey, we haven't had any press conferences lately with Nebuchadnezzar. Well, he's eating. I mean, I mean, I don't know. What would you say at that point? You know, whatever. I mean, they're trying to come up. He, he's tied up, you know. He, he's, he's taking up animals, you know, doing something. I, I mean, I don't know how they did that. But, man, the PR would have been off the charts. And the great miracle to me is that he, that he wasn't deposed and killed by then. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. I mean, the, the God who put him in that position is the God who actually protected his kingdom while he was in that position. And then at his time, when finally that guy eating grass one day, or what he's eat, whatever he's eating, you know, Elizabeth, maybe he's eating dandelions. I don't know, whatever it is. And that's a little joke between us, but it doesn't matter. Whatever, he, he's, he's eating this stuff. And his mind comes back to him 
And he says, none of this is mine. I can't control a thing. There's only one God. And he controls everything. And God took him, and for a short period of time, we don't know exactly how long, how close it was to the end of his, his reign, but God took that man and restored him to power. So Daniel looks at Belshazzar, and he recounts the story of the greatest king that the Babylonians knew, Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, that king came to realize there's only one God, and he rules over the affairs of men. And now he's ready to turn and talk to Belshazzar. So look at verse 22. But you, it's not a good thing when you have the story of one guy that ends well, and then you say, but you. But means that's not so good. But you, Belshazzar, his son, in this case his grandson, his progeny, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. And that to me is what's fascinating, folks. Did Belshazzar know, know what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Yes! He knew. And he rejected that God. He rejected his prophet. And he drank from the vessels of his temple. And Daniel says, you knew that story. I don't know if he pointed, but maybe. We don't know. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, you drank wine from them. It's just a drunken orgy. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. Belshazzar, let me tell you something about Bel. He can't see and he can't hear because he's not a god. There's one. I mean, he's, direct, he's 80 years old. He's figuring like, what do I have to lose, right? I mean, he's just, he's just going to put it out there. I mean, he's not holding back at all at this text. And he goes on to say this. But you did not honor, um, verse, verse uh, 20, well, let me pick up. You praise the gods of silver, gold, bronze, ironwood, I already said that, which cannot see, hear, or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life in all your ways. Do people do that in our day? Do you know, everything that happens in my life, God knows. He may not be behind every act, but he's over every act. He knows my ways. And, and, and anything that happens to me, God could at any moment go, and Doug Finkbeiner is dead. Do you, do you realize that? My life, my ways are right there in his hand. And he has full control. He looks at Belshazzar. He says, I don't care if you're the, the most powerful man on earth right now. Not for too long, a couple more hours. But for right now. 
Your life and your ways are in his hands. Now, if you're a child of God, where else would you want to be? Do you see? It's a wonderful place to be. You know, matter of fact, in John 10, he'll say, you're in my hand, and and my hand's in the Father's hand. And so, like, you are really secure. You'll be fine. You're my own. I protect you. I'll watch over you. I love that. But he's in control of everybody. About this time, after Daniel's kind of set the stage, he's ready to actually give the the, uh, interpretation. And he says this. Therefore, God sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mini, mini, teko, parson. Actually, I think it should say, anyway, that's uparson, but that's okay. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered, and literally the word mene, is, it's, it's, it's like a passive verb. It just means numbered, okay? God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, it's, it's passive, weighed. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And Parson is from Perez. Again, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So, he basically looks at him and says, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. You know what's interesting to me? The emphasis is on the first one because he mentions it twice. You know what he's saying? The clock has run out for you. There's no more time. It's over. Wade. The reason, because God in his grace has been speaking to you for many years through, through what I did with Nebuchadnezzar, and you've rejected, you've rejected, you've rejected, you've rejected. Weighed and found wanting. Therefore, consequence, this great kingdom of yours is going to be cut up into pieces, and it's gone to somebody else. Verse 29 Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler of the kingdom. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was Daniel, I'd want to get that stuff off as quick as I could. The Persians are coming. I'm just saying, you know, like, like, whoa, I don't know about that one at all. But, 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 and we know he was, he was, we'll find next week that Darius liked him, but nonetheless, it was a kind of a precarious um, position to be in. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Remember I told you that the Persians were around the city in the north and in the south. A a lot of their army was right there. And Greek historians tell us, two different Greek historians tell us, that what they did is they figured out a way... To, to, to create canals so that they formed huge basins way north in such a way that nobody quite knew that that Euphrates River was getting lower and lower and lower. And Xenophon tells us that it was down to about here, around the, around the thighs. And literally, soldiers were able to go in two by two, 
right on the riverbed. And because everybody was feasting that day, they were able to open up gates and they said it was one of the easiest takeovers in history. That, that by the time people realized what had happened the next day, there was no reason to fight against it. Just, okay, the Medes and Persians are in charge. But they made a beeline for that, for that palace. And when they got to that palace, they made a beeline to the king. And that night he died. That's a wonderful message, Doug, to preach to us on Independence Day. You know what's the beauty of the prophecies in the Old Testament? Because people sometimes go like, well, that's so negative. But you know, negative messages are messages meant to help you not do the same thing. So warnings, although we may not like to hear them, are really beacons of hope for us if we'll just listen. So what do I say about this passage? I had to try to put it into a sentence. While our sovereign God is gracious to the humble, we know that. Look at Daniel. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. He certainly judges those who are recalcitrant. I mean, they are stubborn in their pride. And it made me think, that theme of God being gracious to the humble and opposing the proud is everywhere in the Bible. Do you realize that? And sometimes you focus more on those who are, have humbled themselves and God exalts them. And other times you look at texts where you have people who are proud and God judges them. This is one of those passages. Do you, do, do, do you see? But it's always given in hope to us not to repeat it. And just three quick things, and I, honestly, then I'll pray and I'll let you go. What are some ways in which we can stubbornly persist in pride? Three came to mind. The first one, you see it reflected over in Luke chapter 1 and verse 52, and I'll, I'll just read it. Where Mary in her Magnificat, when she's actually giving this wonderful prayer of praise, she says this in verse 52, God has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. Mary living in this time where, where Israel has been oppressed and has gone through all these difficulties is saying, you know, when I think of God, he's the sovereign God over everything. And when he chooses, he puts people down. Somebody has said that, that the wheel of God's judgment may grind slow, slowly, but it grinds exceedingly fine. God knows. And it's not always on my time scale, which is really good, because you probably like me, there's times when I'm saying, like, God, judge that person now. Do you ever say that? Yes, you do. We all do. We all have our list and timetable, and it's not God's. But that doesn't mean God doesn't see, folks. God sees. And so as we celebrate today our independence and beginning of a nation, and I rejoice over all that. I hope you have a wonderful time with family or friends this afternoon or whenever you're going to celebrate. God bless you. But just remember, none of this is permanent. And you can take the most powerful man 
on the earth. Whatever president you want from whatever country, I don't care. You can tell him or her, whoever it is, your life and your ways are in the hand of God. And the sooner you realize that and live that way, the better it will be for everybody. And if you choose not to, God in his time will judge. Folks, that's the message. That's why as Christians, we can go on with the gospel and love people in the name of Christ and call them to faith in Jesus Christ and do everything we're called to do because I don't have to control all that stuff. He does. And I can leave it on his time scale. God handles it. I don't have to worry about it. I will worry a little bit, but I don't have to. Does that make sense? Every ruler needs to know he rules only because a gracious God allows it. Over in Luke chapter 18, another way that pride can surface is rejecting the gospel of Christ. Do you remember there that Jesus tells this really interesting story about a tax collector that goes up to worship in the temple and, 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 and a Pharisee? And if you're living in the first century, when I say Pharisee, do you go like this or like this? And I know what you do now, but in the first century, would you go like this or like this? If I say Pharisee, what would you do? If I go like, oh, wow, man, they're, they're our guys. And if I take tax collector, what would you do? Eh, wouldn't you? You go, tax collector, Pharisee. Got it. So Jesus tells this story about two guys going up to the temple. And that Pharisee basically says, man, God, you are so lucky to have me. Man, you and I are in a contract, and I keep my contract, and I do what I'm supposed to do, and I am not like the bums around me, especially that loser over there in the corner, that tax collector guy. It doesn't say he's spitting the tax. I'm adding a little bit. Right? And that guy over there in the corner, wherever he is, He's down on his knees and he can't even look up because he knows his life's a waste. He knows it's been terrible. He knows what he's done to people. And all he can do is beat his breast and say, God, God, would you be merciful to me, the sinner, the rebel before you? And Jesus tells the story and when he's done, he says, that guy goes back to his house justified. And that guy remains in this self-righteous, sinful state. Because he and his pride was saying, I can find my way to God. And another man was saying, I have no hope apart from you. Pride says, I'll have it my way. I'll cut the road on my own. And Jesus says, there's no hope for that. But when someone falls to their knees and says, I'm undone, I can't, I can't, I'm hopeless. I need a savior. I need to be forgiven. I... God sweeps into our life and he saves us. It's beautiful. Because this sovereign God is gracious to the humble. Always, in every case. But he opposes the proud. He does that at the national level. He does that with most powerful leaders. He does it with people who reject his son. And in James chapter 
4 and 1 Peter chapter 5, which is quoting from Proverbs chapter 3. He does it with Christians who for a period of time in their life are saying, you know what? (sighs) Let my life center around God, trust in him. Eh, I don't know about that. I'm going to like do a Doug thing for a little while. You know, I mean, really. Why can't the world revolve around Doug for a little bit? So if you create problems for me, I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to jab you. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to, what, I'm going to manipulate you. I got all kinds of stuff I can do. I'm very good at this. And so are you. And for a period of time, I just want the world to revolve around Doug. Everybody just look at Doug's life and make it really nice and happy and easy. And then things will work. It's idolatry. It's pride. And God sweeps in in James 4 and 1 Peter 5. It says to believers, don't go there. Because the God who is for you will oppose you when you oppose him. You're still his child. Yes, I know. But you can't live that way. Because there's a principle which doesn't change. God is gracious to the humble. And God opposes the proud. It's all through the Bible. So I read this story and I say, well, I'm not like Belshazzar. Sometimes... I am a little bit, frankly. Hopefully for not as long. Hopefully it's only a couple hours at a shot. But I am. And so are you. And I would call you wherever you are to be people who walk humbly before your God. Because God who resists the proud is gracious to the humble. Father, we thank you for the truths, the stories that you have given us from the past, not so that we can just memorize them, but Father, so that we can realize they are true and you are teaching us about who you are and how you want us to react to you and respond to you and submit to you. Father, May we be your humble people. May our nation knows what it means to recognize there is a God who is above all kingdoms. That is the only hope for America, Lord. It's always been that way. That's the only hope for every country. It's it's always been that way. But Lord, in our individual lives, Oh, Father, for anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, may this be the day that they put off their pride. They fall before you. They ask Christ to be their Lord and Savior to forgive them of their sins. And Lord, as believers, we're so prone to wander. What we need is your enabling spirit to constantly, as he does, call us back to yourself as your humble people, centered upon you, dependent upon you, resting in you. Father, if you'll do that work in our lives, we will be eternally grateful. In Christ's name, amen.
will glory. I will glory in my Redeemer, whose priceless blood has ransomed me. Mine was the sin that drove the bitterness and hung him on that judgment tree. And I will glory in my Redeemer, who crushed the power of sin and death. My only Savior before the Holy Judge, the Lamb who is my righteousness, the Lamb who is my righteousness. I will glory, and I will glory in my Redeemer, my life He bought, my love He owns. I have no longings for another, I'm satisfied in Him alone, and I will glory in my Redeemer. His faithfulness, my standing place. Though foes are mighty and rush upon me, my feet are firm held by His grace. My feet are firm held by His grace. Blood has ransomed me. 
Mine was the sin that drove the bitter nails and hung him on that judgment tree. I will glory in my Redeemer who crushed the power of sin and death. My only Savior before the Holy Judge. Lamb who is my righteousness. The Lamb who is my righteousness. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have crushed the power of sin and death. And in light of that and in light of your sovereignty, God, you have chosen us to be children of God. God, I ask that uh, today and this week that as we go from this place that you would allow that knowledge to just infect our hearts and cause us to adore you more and more and more and help people to see that in our lives, Father. Um, God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this worship. And uh, we just ask that you bless us as we leave this place. In Christ's name, amen. Have a great week.